This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Welcome to On the Cover, a weekly Mad Splainers feature. I'm podcast producer Natalie Yar, and each week I sit down with the reporter behind our latest cover story to find out why it matters. Today I'm here with Cap Times K 12 education reporter Scott Gerard, whose latest cover story looks at how Madison teachers are adapting to the challenges of teaching virtually under quarantine. Scott, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. You've talked with a lot of teachers about how this whole virtual teaching thing is going for them. And some of them talked about how the switch was just so abrupt that one day they were saying to their students, see you Monday, and the next they weren't sure when they'd be in the same room with their students again. What was that like for them? Yeah, uh, a lot of them talked to the suddenness of the change. And I can think back to that Friday and how crazy it was for me as a reporter following the news that was coming out. Uh, I can't imagine for teachers, uh, you know, wrapping up their weeks, what they were trying to figure out. So that Friday, initially the school board altered spring break schedules. And then a couple hours after that decision was made, before the district had even announced kind of the formal plans and how that was going to work, the governor came in and closed schools effective the following Wednesday. Well, then Sunday, local public health officials stepped in and closed schools immediately. And so even as of Saturday night, Sunday morning, teachers were still going to see their students on Monday. And then suddenly they weren't. And now they haven't seen them for the rest of the school year. And that's been really hard. A lot of teachers really value the classroom community they build throughout the year. Uh, And so I think the sudden loss of seeing their students in person and not being in the same rooms as them uh, has been challenging for a lot of folks. And what does this virtual learning that's going on now look like in Madison? How are teachers even getting in touch with their students? So it varies. Uh, It varies from school to school. It can vary from classroom to classroom. The district has put an emphasis on uh, trying to relieve and reduce stress as much as possible for students and families. Uh, For example, with grading practices uh, at the high school level, they instituted a pass-no-pass system and grade point averages uh, can't be lowered from what they were at the end of the first semester. So they're, they're trying to focus on strategies like that with a lens of equity is how they've spoken about it. Uh, so virtual learning looks different for different classrooms. Some teachers are doing live Zoom conversations with their classes to check in. Some do it every day. Some do it once a week. Others are just putting materials online and allowing students to access those materials when they can. And then having quote unquote office hours uh, of availability for students to ask questions. Part of the reasoning behind that is that While you're at home, students have access to different resources. Some don't even have internet, but even for those who do, some are watching siblings while parents may be at work. Some may have limits on the number of devices in their home. So schedules can be different from student to student, so that flexibility has been important for some. Um, Teachers are also texting, calling, emailing all of their families, but there are also some who they're still not able to get in touch with. Interesting. And some of these teachers told you that they were really worried about these disparities, that their students, they felt, were on an especially unlevel playing field right now. 
Can you tell me about that and how that's different from where we were at before? Yeah. So I think a lot of the inequities that exist right now also existed when school was in session. But for eight hours a day, students were all in the same building, uh, had access to the same adults, had access to the same resources in that building. Now that they're not in that building, there's a difference in access to resources. And so that's all day. You know, and so whether that's food, uh, whether that's a social worker, whatever that is, you know, the district is doing its best, I think, to reach out with those resources. For example, they have 15 food sites where parents can pick up food for free. But, you know, access to social workers and uh, students needing to take the initiative for their learning a bit more than they did in the buildings. You know, in a building, you're in a classroom and the teacher can see when you're maybe nodding off or not focused or uh, maybe just not interested in what's being taught. But now that is such a student led effort. And given the different realities students experience at home, it's just harder to manage those disparities and, and create a quote-unquote level playing field for these students. Absolutely. And some teachers brought up this point, as you've mentioned also, that students are balancing a lot of things right now. One of them told you that this, for some students, might be the most hectic time of their lives. How are the teachers factoring that into their teaching? Yeah, I think that goes back to a lot of the policies the district has implemented with the pass-no-pass grading at the high school level and some changes at lower levels. And again, the allowing students to access the materials when they can, when they have the opportunity. What that can also mean for teachers, however, is uh, a challenge of work-life balance, right? Uh, So a student or a family who maybe doesn't access the materials until 8.30 at night because a parent works whatever shift that that's the best time for that student and parent to look together over uh, the materials. Well, many teachers I spoke with say, you know, I want to shut off. I want to take time away and try to separate uh, work from my personal life. But if a student or a parent calls me at nine o'clock with a question, I'm not going to not answer. And so that can create a lot of stress for them, I think. And that's probably one of the bigger challenges I heard about as well for, for teachers is, figuring out what they need to do for themselves through what is a challenging time for them too, uh, outside of their professional capacity as a teacher, while wanting to support their students in every way they can. And what, if anything, are teachers doing to try to stay emotionally connected to their students or their families? Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, teachers right now are prioritizing that even over academics. A lot of teachers told me, you know, they want to challenge the kid as best they can and and get them to continue learning, but they mostly just want to make sure their their students are okay. And so one example, an elementary school classroom that does Zoom meetings, they, at the end of some of their Zoom calls, will say, you know, do a, a show and tell sort of thing or talk about a pet or something like that. And what they hear the kids say, they said, is, Uh, They're just really happy to see each other and spend time together. And so that has meant a lot to those teachers and encouraged them to continue going. Another teacher in my story mentioned that she thought she was going to be doing a one-on-one Zoom with a student. And suddenly the Zoom showed up and that student's entire family was sitting at the lunch table. And so for her, that was a really emotionally rewarding moment because she just got to see a different side of her student's world and her student's life. And so there's little moments like that that I think teachers are finding uh, taking a lot from. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. 
Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. So is there a bright side here? Is, is anything better with virtual learning or anything going especially well? I think that depends on the student. I think there are some students, uh, I talked to a group of teachers at Sandberg Elementary School. They've been implementing technology in the classroom a lot and doing some experimenting in recent years. And so they felt particularly well prepared for something like this. And while it's not going perfectly, they did say there's a couple students they've noticed who are more engaged. For example, one of the things they've offered is uh, blogging. And they kind of just let the students write and blog about whatever they want to. You know, so it's really student led. And there's a student who uh, one of the teachers told me rarely raised a hand in the classroom who is writing a blog post nearly every day. And so that participation for that student has gone up. And so they said, you know, that they're trying to take some lessons about the importance or really lack of importance of kind of a set schedule. So, you know, if you allow students to work on the things they want to work on while you're monitoring them, maybe that's more effective for keeping them engaged. And that student voice and choice, which is a very coined phrase in the education world, but uh, I think some teachers are taking lessons from this and how they can implement that into their classrooms. Now, again, it's, it's not for every student. And so that's going to be part of the challenge too, is figuring out what students do better in what uh, medium. What was surprising to you as you reported this story? I think just the range of things that teachers were doing, uh, both for their students and for themselves, uh, the way that they were structuring their days, the way that they were structuring their students' days. And many of these teachers have kids of their own. And so in between teaching their students, they are sort of uh, doing school at home with their own children. And so they're not only having to do that, but they're also seeing the different ways this is being implemented. It wasn't necessarily unexpected, but it was still surprising hearing teacher by teacher kind of what they were implementing and how it had gone. Given everything you've learned in this reporting, what can we expect if virtual learning continues in the fall? That's really the biggest question out there right now. And, uh, you know, just uh, recently, district officials said that they are kind of preparing for any potential scenario when schools start up in the fall. Uh, that could be in-person, it could be all virtual, it could be some combination of blending together. And I think a lot of what that will look like and a lot of how it will function depends on this summer. You know, again, it happened so quickly. Uh, teachers trained and are trained and have experience working in a classroom. Uh, as one of the teachers said to me, with this change, everyone became sort of a first-year teacher overnight. And so the professional development this summer will be very key if this is going to continue. I think a lot of teachers feel like, I heard the phrase multiple times, building the airplane while it's in the air. And I think this summer is a chance to hopefully take a step back and look at what practices were working and what weren't, uh, so that if virtual learning is required to continue into the fall, teachers and families can be a bit better set up to do so effectively for every student. Right. Because like even if you were, say, a super experienced expert teacher, your experience is still in the classroom and you're used to getting feedback from your students and watching their faces and things like that. This is just a totally different thing, huh? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of teachers talk to me about, you know, they can 
they are very good at sensing whether a lesson is working in the classroom. You know, they can read their students' faces. They can see, even if it's just one student who it's not working for, they know how to handle that and how to adjust and how to reach out to that student specifically in the classroom. That's a lot harder virtually, whether because you're video chatting and it's just there's all these different videos happening uh, and no one is necessarily fully engaging because they're all getting used to the medium. Or if you're posting lessons and not watching students as they're doing the work, you don't have that opportunity to kind of take the little signals that you are so adept at reading. And so that's been a big challenge for them is having to adjust their understanding of what students are experiencing. And why was this story important to you? So I think right now, with so many changes happening so suddenly in education, the conversation often revolves around how important the teacher is to a student's education and to a student being successful in their learning. And so getting the teacher perspective on how this is going, what uh, they're finding are best practices for them, and what they need to make it better if it needs to continue in the fall just felt really significant at this time. Absolutely. Scott, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Scott Gerard, who will keep watching the local schools no matter where class is happening. Tune in next week for a conversation about our next cover story. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to The Madsplainers on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you do your listening, and leave us a review while you're there. Also, be sure to check out our other podcasts, including The Corner Table, all about food and drink in Madison, and Wedge Issues, all about state politics. Until next time, thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.